Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of the morning of August 6th, 2022, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. It occurs to me that August 6th is Hiroshima Day and that the planet is, you know, at greater risk of nuclear conflict than it's been certainly at any time in my adult life. Now, what I'm going to have to discuss today is going to do nothing to alleviate my sense of imminent apocalypse, <laughs> which is um, Russia's obvious attempt to bring about a return to power by MAGA fascism in the United States. Or Failing that, to have the country collapse into civil war entirely, leaving Moscow considerably freer to carry out its campaign of reconquest in Ukraine and possibly beyond. And I'm going to begin by reading something which I wrote up for the Counter Vortex Daily Report this week on Monday, August 1st, which was about the most painful and anguishing thing that I have ever had to write. FBI raids Russian-backed black nationalists? Question mark. But it kind of seems like it's true. A slight caveat with the question mark there, which I'll uh, elaborate on later. But to read what I wrote this Monday, August 1st, federal agents executed search warrants July 29th at a black nationalist meeting place in St. Petersburg, Florida. The agents were seen carrying out unidentified boxes for hours at Uhuru House, local headquarters of the Uhuru Movement, an arm of the African People's Socialist Party, APSP. This is a pan-Africanist formation with separatist inclinations dating back to the early 1970s. The Uhuru Movement is evidently the U.S. Political Group 1, named in a federal indictment unsealed that same day, July 29th, formally charging a Russian national with spearheading a multi-year influence campaign, quote-unquote, in the United States. Alexander Viktorovich Ayanov is accused of using three unnamed political groups to spread pro-Russian propaganda in the U.S. and interfere in elections. Ayanov, a Moscow resident, is founder and leader of the Anti-Globalization Movement of Russia, AGMR. Let's call it the AGMIR which the indictment says operates in conjunction with the Russian Federal Security Service, FSB, successor agency to the KGB. The indictment, brought by a Tampa-based grand jury, claims that Ayanov funded an all-expense-paid trip to Moscow in May 2015 for an unidentified leader of U.S. Political Group 1 to communicate on future cooperation, quote-unquote, with the AGMER. Over the intervening seven years, Ayanov exercised direction and control over senior members 
of U.S. political group one, quote-unquote, from the indictment. Akile Enayi, director of the APSP Department of Agitation and Propaganda, speaking to the local media after the raid, in which her laptop and phone were apparently seized, certainly did nothing to dispel the notion that she is in the sway of Kremlin indoctrination. And here I'm going to read from the verbatim of her uh, apparently unedited quote. It's a little bit rough, as it appeared in the Tampa Bay Times. Quote, What we know this to really be, one, is a propaganda war is being waged against Russia every single day throughout the news. The U.S. has a hold on what is being propagated about the war on the defensive war, Russia's defensive war against Ukraine, against world colonial powers, because that's what's happening right now, end quote. Like I say, the Tampa Bay Times did not clean up the quote, so it's a little bit rough, but um, I think we get the point. U.S. political group two appears to be the Atlanta-based Black Hammer Party. The indictment asserts that Ionov paid for members of Black Hammer to travel to San Francisco in March to protest Facebook's removal of posts supporting Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and even directed them on the design of signs for the demo, which was live-streamed on the group's YouTube channel. The protesters can be seen standing outside the headquarters of Meta, Facebook's parent company, holding a Russian flag. Black Hammer seems particularly cultish. Just days before the federal indictment was unsealed, the group's leader, Augustus C. Romain, a.k.a. Ghazi Kadzo, was arrested on kidnapping charges following a standoff with a SWAT team in an Atlanta suburb. The affair was apparently related to internecine rivalries in the organization in which one hostage, term used by the media and police, lost his life, although this was deemed a suicide and no murder charges had been brought. In May 2021... Black Hammer members got in a brief armed standoff with local residents in a remote area of the Colorado Rockies, where they hoped to build a utopian community to be called Hammer City on lands they had apparently not legally acquired. They were finally removed from the land by San Miguel County deputies. Black Hammer also evidently sought to intentionally game online outrage to build their following with ugly social media posts, such as dissing Holocaust victim Anne Frank as a colonizer, quote-unquote, parasite, quote-unquote, and bleach demon, quote-unquote, and threatening to burn copies of her diary to keep warm in their Colorado compound. Ha ha ha. So funny, guys. Political Group 3 appears to be the now-defunct Yes California, which in 2018 
led a campaign for a so-called Cal exit, the Golden State actually seceding from the United States, seceding from the Union. The group's leader, Louis Marinelli, named as an unindicted co-conspirator in the uh, federal indictment, evidently used to reside in Yekaterinburg, Russia, before relocating to California to stir up trouble with a vague populism that veered erratically from right to left. He started out as a vocal opponent of same-sex marriage, but flipped to appropriating anti-Trump rhetoric to fuel his secessionist initiative. According to the indictment, Ionov sent Marinelli $500 to pay for posters for a February 2018 Cal Exit rally outside the state capitol building in Sacramento, Ionov also apparently urged Marinelli, quote, to physically enter the governor's office, end quote, which was then occupied by Democrat Jerry Brown. Shades of January 6th, eh? The storming of the governor's office did not come to pass, but Ionov reportedly passed on photos and media reports of the demonstration to an unnamed FSB officer. An accompanying note mentioned that the officer had requested turmoil, quote-unquote, and proudly proclaimed, there you go, quote-unquote, although perhaps not as much turmoil as they had been hoping for, (laughs) given that the uh, attempted takeover of the governor's office didn't actually happen. Okay, this much you can glean from the... uh, the mainstream coverage, which I've merely digested here. But now let's go beyond the mainstream coverage. Let's go behind the headlines and examine some of the players in this maddening story. We've noted before the efforts by the AGMER, anti-globalization movement of Russia, to co-opt both the radical left and radical right in the United States. In December 2014, AGMER hosted an international conference in Moscow on, quote, the right of peoples to self-determination and building a multipolar world, unquote. Drawing participants from groups in the U.S. anti-war left, including the United National Anti-War Coalition, UNAC, and the International Action Center, IAC, which are both spin-offs of the retro-Stalinist Workers' World Party. Also in attendance at this Agmer Confab in Moscow in December 2014, were representatives of Russian and European neo-fascist formations and a group of white nationalists from an Alabama-based organization, the Neo-Confederate League of the South. The League of the South was one of the prominent groups in the August 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, which notoriously turned deadly. We noted at the time the vocal expressions of support for Syria's Russian-backed genocidal dictator, 
Bashar Assad among the far-right knuckleheads at Charlottesville. But the League of the South seems to have a special affinity for Putin's Russia. In an essay on their website entitled, To Our Russian Friends, the League's president, Michael Hill, writes, quote, We understand that the Russian people and Southerners are natural allies in blood, culture, and religion, end quote. Another essay on their site urges followers to prepare for, quote, the coming civil war in America, end quote. The Workers' World Party and its various spin-off groups, UNAC, IAC, ANSWER, actually march with portraits of Bashar Assad at their hypocritical anti-war rallies. Yet these same groups have the unmitigated chutzpah to affect an anti-racist posture in order to draw in followers, pretending to oppose the very radical right nexus that they actually overlap with. We take some perverse amusement in a video on the Black Hammer YouTube channel showing their militants disrupting a hands-off Cuba rally in Atlanta led by another Workers' World offshoot, the very ironically named Party for Socialism and Liberation, PSL, baiting them as white-led, quote-unquote. It is always odious to learn of police targeting of black political groups in the United States, which inevitably recalls the FBI's murderous COINTELPRO against the Black Panthers in the late 1960s and the 1985 police massacre of followers of the MOVE organization in Philadelphia. In fact, we fear that the indictment and St. Petersburg raid will give the Uhuru movement APSP and Black Hammer, a cachet that could fuel their popularity in certain sectors. Still, we do have to wonder if these groups are suffering from a deep cynicism or an even deeper naivete. Are they unaware that the same FSB Agmer network, apparently supporting them, is also supporting their ostensible worst enemies on the racist right. Are they really unaware of the racist persecution of Crimean Tartars and Chechens in the white supremacist Russia of Vladimir Putin? This affair manifests one of the more egregious examples of the fast-mounting and incredibly dangerous phenomenon of red brown politics, the notion of a left-fascist convergence against the political center, against the West, and against bourgeois democracy. We can imagine Alexander Viktorovich Ionov, Vladimir Putin, and the FSB wetting their pants with laughter as the United States descends into civil war in the years, or possibly even months, to come. Okay, thus I blogged this past Monday, August 1st, and uh, 
A few further things to say about all of this. First, as we've noted before in our previous blogging about them, this Agmer appears to be in the political orbit of Alexander Dugin, the man who has been dubbed Putin's Rasputin, the intellectual mastermind of Vladimir Putin's revanchist imperial project, and of the ideology of Eurasianism, as he calls it, and particularly of a so-called Red-Brown Alliance of the radical right and radical left against the West. And this is why I just don't get how the Uhuru movement can get played like this. Now, I know the history of COINTELPRO and all of the FBI dirty trick campaigns against the Black Panthers and other domestic radical forces two generations ago. And I am perfectly open to the notion that the agency has not been house-cleaned as thoroughly as we are led to believe. And I could almost entertain the idea that the Justice Department is distorting things in its indictment, which is, of course, based on FBI investigations. I could almost believe that if the Uhuru movement's own spokesperson, Akile Anai, didn't virtually prove it by regurgitating pure, 100% unadulterated Russian propaganda about how this illegal war of aggression against Ukraine is a defensive war, quote-unquote. She actually said that. So, all right, I mean, I suppose it's still possible that the FBI and Justice Department have elaborated things a little bit in this indictment, but it's pretty clear, at a minimum, that the Uhuru movement is in the sway of Russian propaganda. And as for uh, Black Hammer, after I wrote up that piece, I became aware of this. It seems hard to believe, but Black Hammer apparently tweeted on December 13th, 2021. I read the verbatim text, quote, you heard it here first, exclamation mark, the Black Hammer organization and the Proud Boys are forming a coalition, in caps, to defeat the disgusting pedo-loving, welfare economy demon-crats, haha, and their puppet master, Big Pharma, who has been poisoning all of us for too long, end quote. I interjected the haha, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, shades of anti-vax paranoia and uh, QAnon conspiracy theory here as well. And I poked around to try to, uh, you know, see if there was any evidence that this was not, in fact, the Black Hammer Twitter feed, but maybe some spoof site or something. But no, it seems like it really is the Black Hammer Twitter feed. And just a couple of days before that tweet, on December 8th, 2021, the Black Hammer YouTube channel ran a video in which uh, Black Hammer's Ghazi Kadzo joined Proud Boys founder Gavin McInnes to have a lot of fun bashing the Democrats together. Yeah, the Proud Boys, who have repeatedly served as shock troops for Trump in street clashes and were key players 
in the January 2021 Capitol attack. Seriously, guys? Seriously, Black Hammer? You bait the party for socialism and liberation as white-led and then jump in bed with the Proud Boys? Who stormed the Capitol building with people carrying Confederate flags? All I can say is, get the fuck out of here. And, you know, a few final things I want to make clear about all of this. Uh, first and foremost is that I deny the charge that I am being alarmist. There is a clear possibility of either fascism or civil war or both in the immediate future of the United States of America. Look at this week's election results, which saw victories across the map in the Republican primaries for denialists about the 2020 elections, people who are still insisting Trump won. And as we discussed last week, the MAGA machine is laying the groundwork at the level of state houses and local election authorities to do it again in 2024, to try to steal the election in 2024 in the name of stopping the steal, completely post-truth, completely Orwellian, only this time having the political apparatus in place to actually pull it off. And last week we mentioned the pending Supreme Court decision in Moore versus Harper, which there is no reason to be optimistic about, in which Republican state legislators in North Carolina are using the so-called independent state legislature theory to argue that they should have virtually unchecked authority over how elections are held in their state, which could include the actual seating of electors. Well, that is the same state, North Carolina, that got its new voting restriction measures upheld by the Supreme Court in October 2014. The justices reversed an appeals court's decision that would have allowed same-day registration and counted votes cast mistakenly in the wrong precinct. The relevant case here is North Carolina et al. versus League of Women Voters of North Carolina. You can Google it up. One of several such cases from several states, mostly in the South, that have made it to the Supreme Court over the past years with the court ruling the wrong way each time. So they've been reviving the old Jim Crow tactics of disenfranchising a targeted cross-section of the citizenry, shall we say, and now they're really going for the kill, putting the apparatus in place to pull off an outright fraud. And here's where I have to respond to my anarchist pals who would denigrate voting even in a clear emergency such as we face at this moment. You know that old anarchist slogan, if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal. Well, guess what? They're trying to make it illegal. Hello? That slogan comes across as glib, delusional, and frankly, reeking of privilege at this particular historical moment. So I repeat my admonition that any means necessary must include voting at this moment, and no, that does not imply 
selling our souls to the Democratic Party or abandoning our critique of the Democrats or surrendering the autonomy of our movements to the Democrats. A vote is just a vote. And secondly, no, I am not scapegoating Russia. I absolutely recognize that the descent into fascism in this country is being fundamentally driven by our culture's own internal contradictions, especially as regards the whole question of race and the impending reality of the U.S. becoming a country in which non-whites constitute the majority, which is inevitable and, as far as I'm concerned, entirely welcome. Couldn't happen fast enough. But this demographic fear among the dwindling white majority is the motor force that is driving the MAGA backlash. If these internal contradictions didn't exist, Russia would not be able to manipulate them. But the Russian effort to do so is no longer a matter of conjecture. It is a matter of factual reality. It isn't a question of blaming Russia for our social ills, but of recognizing Vladimir Putin as an enemy, ultimately a part of the same enemy as Trumpism. And if you can't see it in their mutual embrace of Hungarian strongman Viktor Orban, much in the headlines now, as he just spoke at the CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas, well, all I can say is none are so blind as those who will not see. So obvious. I'll also point out that Russia's descent into fascism, which, as far as I'm concerned, is now already accomplished, was also driven by its own internal contradictions, the perceived national humiliation of the fall from superpower status at the end of the Cold War, the loss of the other Soviet republics and satellite states, and non-white minorities, such as the Tartars and Chechens, wanting to break away from Russia itself and the ethnic Russian majority, seeking to maintain its privileged position over them. And the United States and the West bear some responsibility here. Having imposed economic austerity on Russia in the Cold War aftermath, and earlier in the Cold War endgame, the CIA backing any so-called anti-communist force in the Soviet sphere, no matter how reactionary, including some fairly fascistic ones, all of this contributed, at least, to the eventual rise of fascism in Russia. So if you can acknowledge that, you should be able to acknowledge the Russian role in the current rise of fascism in the U.S. And the last thing I want to say is that this notion of a multipolar world is a superficially attractive one that is leading many progressives in the West to take the Russian bait. The notion that the U.S. should become just one world power among many rather than being the great hegemon 
astride a unipolar world, as it was for about a generation or so following the end of the Cold War. But a multipolar world would not necessarily be better than the unipolar world of the post-Cold War era, which in turn was not better than the bipolar period of the Cold War. It was multipolarity that got us into World War I, remember? The notion that we have to root for the rising powers like Russia and China because they are challenging U.S. hegemony and bringing about a multipolar world leads straight into the toxic campism we now see across much of the so-called left in the West and its co-optation by the forces of, not to mince words, international fascism, as exemplified by Vladimir Putin, Viktor Orban, and Donald Trump. As we've stated many times before, we should be working for a world without great powers or spheres of influence, and acceptance of a multipolar world must necessarily imply a critique of the other poles. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting tonight is hyperlinked and documented. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. Even just $1 per weekly podcast will make a big difference in terms of us being able to keep going. Join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.